everybody. Welcome back to The Smattering, where we ask the important questions about investing. I'm Jason Hall, and I'm joined by the voice of the people. That is an unofficial registered, not registered trademark. It's Jeff Santoro. Hey, Jeff. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. This is the third episode in our How We Invest series. It is. It's been, been fun so far. Yeah, I've really, I've really enjoyed this, and I think these next two are going to be fun as well. Yeah, we're, we're expecting four, and then there'll be a prequel, and there'll be maybe a, a, a fifth bonus episode, and then at some point we'll have to turn this into a made-for-TV miniseries, but that's further down the road. Um, if, you, if you haven't listened to it yet, folks, I would like to suggest you go back to the first um, episode in this miniseries, um, How to Get Ideas. We did that a couple weeks ago, and then What to Buy. Uh, we did last week, and this week it's going to be how we track, follow, and learn about our investments. So, found some stocks, decided what to buy, and we bought them. Now we own them. So we're going to talk about that process of ownership and kind of what goes goes on there, Jeff. But before we before we get into the the actual podcast, how do people find us? People find us anywhere. We can be found. So uh, if, if you are a Twitter user, you can find us on Twitter at Smattering Show. You can email us at thesmatteringshow at gmail.com. We have a YouTube channel that you can search for or go to our Twitter link to get. Um, and we would really appreciate it if you if you rated and reviewed and shared um, our show and our YouTube page. Um, that, that helps other people find it, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, if you, if you find our YouTube channel and you like what we're doing, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, Alphabet does not like to give money to people that create content unless you have a ton of followers. So now if you, I, I see you out there, you Alphabet shareholders that are like, yeah, I'm not going to follow him because that's more money for me. Don't be greedy. <laughs> Don't be greedy. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. And this is that conflict between uh, a customer of a business and, the, and a stockholder of a business. Exactly. Jeff, let's let's jump into this here, Jeff. Let's talk about that. So thinking about how you track your investments, how you follow them, it's a learning process, right? That's to me, that's the way I think about this is it's a constant evolution of learning more about the business that you own, about its prospects to generate returns for investors, grow its dividend if that's part of what you're looking at, become larger and take more market share, grow cash flow per share, all of that stuff, right? We're going to get into that. But I know there's kind of there's three there's three different buckets here, three different questions that we're going to try to answer for ourselves here, Jeff. What are those? So the first one is which companies do you track and to what degree, right? And I think this is one where I, I want to hear your thoughts in particular because you you have many many companies in your portfolio. It would be even for someone who does this full time, it would be impossible for you to go into too much tracking detail and note-taking on all 120-something companies. Um, so I guess to start off, I'd be curious to hear, how do you decide like what to keep track of and what does that mean for you? Do you take notes? Do you have spreadsheets? Do you just read and kind of remember things? Like I'm really curious like what your kind of process is to keep track of everything. Yeah, so this is, you know, this is important um, because, again, I, I own 120 individual stocks. This is a really important one, so that we'll start with this, is because one of the things, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase uh, Brown Withers, um, f- friend and colleague, 
Um, if you're a, a Motley Fool member, I'm sure you probably know who Brian Withers is from some of the live stream stuff and the writing he's done over there. Um, one of the things he talks about with like quarterly earnings is by and large, most quarterly earnings for most companies almost all of the time are kind of like your kid's report card in third grade. You know, just because the kid gets a C in math in third grade doesn't mean his future as an engineer is over, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's a good this, way of thinking of it, yeah. it's it's Yeah, I, I like it. It's fun, right? And it really contextualizes it well, and it's a reminder that we're talking about like 90 days, you know, 88 to 93 days, depending on how many months in the quarter, um, <clears throat> or the months in the quarter and the days in those months. And as investors, something you and I've learned, and I think for most people, especially for individual investors, the simplest approach and the one that generally leads to the best returns is just kind of long-term. You buy, you buy, you try to buy the best businesses you can at fair prices, and then you mostly get out of the way and let, let the businesses do the work for many, many years, right? So by applying that, that framework of that thought process to thinking about earnings is just this little tiny snippet of a few months of information compared to hopefully decades of ownership, you're not going to learn much of anything. It's going to right. be very, very incremental, right? Yeah, and and if you think about the kind of news that you would find out about a company that would that would mean you'd want to sell it, right? Or, or would have to be. It should be if you're going to be a long term shareholder of the company. It should be something pretty substantial. So I, one of the things I think about is like, and this isn't really work for my career, but you know, if you work for a business, think about in any three month span how much changes that's really huge and material to to the business, right? It's probably not that often. And I think a lot of what you see in quarterly reports is, you know, sometimes things go down, sometimes things go up, and that's not necessarily a long-term issue um, because no company is going to be completely linear in its in its growth. You know, even the best, best companies that we've, you know, you could have owned over the past, you know, several decades had down periods, um, both in stock price and in performance of what the business is doing. So you just sort of have to think, you really zoom out and think big picture and understand that every 90 days you get just a snapshot of where things are. And that's just a piece of like a really big puzzle. Right. So, I mean, you look, you mentioned that about stocks going down, but look at Microsoft and Amazon and Netflix and Alphabet. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Every one of these stocks, Apple at some point lost 50, 60, 70, 80% of their value, Right. That's not a characteristic of great stocks. It's a characteristic of stocks, <laughs> right? So you have to be mindful about separating the stock action from the price action from what's going on with the business. So yeah, go ahead. and one one of the things that I I try to do. So I keep I keep a lot of information on spreadsheets. I, that helps me, and, and I make little charts out of them, which is super nerdy, but it really helps me visualize where things are headed. So you can you can get lost in a couple quarters of, of choppiness, and then all of a sudden you zoom out two or three years, and everything is basically up and to the right. You know, It's yeah. just not a linear path to get there. But what I try to do is really limit what I look for to the couple key drivers for that particular business. Um, and I think I mentioned this on the what to buy pod too, but, um, you know, so if, if it's a subscription, KPIs. Is, 
Yeah, you want those those KPIs, right? So um, key performance indicators. If you haven't listened to episode two, now stop and go listen to episode one, and then episode two, and we'll be here waiting. Yeah, well, let's no, we'll, wait a we'll second. Wait. wait, Jeff, just wait. Yep, let's wait. Okay, you done? Yeah, you're I, done. Think we're, I think we're done. Ahead, yeah. So let me so let me ask you what you do, Jason. Do you have any sort of formal? process or anything in terms of like actually keeping track of what is in those quarterly reports? No, I don't. Um, I <laughs> well, that's great. Cause I, I cause I do. And I, I think that's fascinating like that. Everyone sort of handles it differently. And I, I'm still, yeah. you mentioned at the top, like this should be a learning process and I've changed how I handle quarterly earnings probably every quarter a little bit. I do something yeah. a little bit different because I think, oh, I want to know this or I want to track that or I want to think about that. So so what do you do to just kind of keep it all in your head? So this is like the the second thing that we want to talk about was like when you do get to those earnings periods. And like the in-between, you know, the market's going to kind of tell you if you need to be paying attention because you'll be looking at your portfolio, which is not necessarily the healthiest thing. If you look at your portfolio because you're worried, it's not healthy to look at it all the time. If you look at it because you think it's fun and it's exciting and you enjoy it, that's a great reason to continue looking at your portfolio on a regular basis. But your portfolio kind of tells you, right? This, it's a stock that's way up and while the market's not, or it's a stock that's way down while the market's not, right? right. It's, it's, it's deviating from what the market's doing. Then it's like, all right, you know what? I need to go read something. I need to find out what's going on and apply that to my thesis for the company and my pre-mortem, right? We talked about that, Jeff, a little bit, that great way to think about it, like the what could go wrong stuff. It's like, okay, where where on that spectrum does this thing that has happened, where does it fall, right? Is it mm-hmm. more towards the, you know, everything's fine and it's just the market's re- reacting to an analyst downgrade, even though the company didn't change their guidance or, you know, there's no news, they lost a customer, you know, none of that shit's going on. Um, or it's on that, you know, yeah, something's not looking good, right? And then And then you have to kind of reevaluate from there. But generally, I let the market kind of tell me when I need to look a little bit closer. But when we get into earnings season and we start getting those little snippets of information, generally what I do is a lot of, uh, again, this is outside of my job. Beyond that, when I'm looking at it for, for my own edification, for my own portfolio, I look at very, very little earnings stuff, like close to the day of. It's very mm. rare that I do. And if, it, if I do, it's just because I'm really curious and it overlaps with something that I'm doing that I'm getting paid to do already, right? And here's the reality. The reality is, Jeff, I do this because it's, it's kind of a mental reset for me because I can, I talked about on the, on the um, second episode, what to buy about like cash. Like I have these, this framework around like the minimum amount of cash that I want to try to have is around 5% in my portfolio. And I never really want to let it get above about 8% or so because I can fall in love with cash. And if I sell, and if I, if I invest all my cash, I'll start selling stocks to raise cash because I'll invent a reason why I should sell that stock because I think I should have, have cash. So like one of the mental like tricks that I have to keep me from doing d- dumb stuff around earnings is not looking at earnings. Um, and, and again, the reason why is that once that earnings report is out, the market's already reacted. Yep. You'll never beat it. I'll never, I never will, right? You, you can't because there's, there's, 
there's quant firms out there that have you know some really powerful computers that are i mean they're 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 moving so quickly they're literally as soon as the filing hits the SEC it's already processed and acted right they have an algo that's going to act based on that or based on headlines that are showing up right so um those are things that I can never get in front of. I'm not going to let the tail wag the dog for me. No, I was going to say, that's a really important lesson to learn at some point. It's one that I had to kind of figure out. Like I used to be obsessed with trying to make a decision the day earnings came out or the day after, if it was like after the market closed. And right. what I found was if I did make a decision based on that, even if it ended up being the right decision based on like the news, you learn over time like, okay, news comes out, the stock drops 15%, you make some decision. Next day, it goes up 12%. You know, like random things like that do happen, not all the time. Um, And what I have found is earning season is like drinking from a fire hose. And if if you're just a regular retail investor who's just investing and not doing this for work, it still can feel like that if you own a lot of companies. And what I have found is that if I go a month later, when it's sort of this, right, right now is the quiet time between earning seasons. And it's so nice to just sort of like, oh, let me go back and see how you know this company did. Um, because all of the market sentiment has happened. Um, and you're really just able to sort of take in the actual information and make, if you're going to make a decision, make it based on that and not on what the, the red or green line on the brokerage is doing. Yeah. the I think the other part of it too, is that there's so much noise going on during earnings season. It's one of those situations where if you're acting based on what the stock did or the, how the market reacted to what the company reported and contrasting that with what analysts might have been expecting, right, you're, you're basically forming an opinion on how a lot of other people decided to act, right, not necessarily objectively looking at what's going on with the business. So um, that's one of the reasons that I try to separate my actions from earnings um, seasons completely, and I don't do much around earnings in terms of looking at the companies. Um, again, the companies I follow really closely, and you know, I'm, I'm providing market information to like the Molly Fools members and that kind of thing. Yeah, I am looking at that, and and it, the good thing is that it's helped me like um, build those muscles around being able to quickly take up the information and reach some really quick conclusions that I know I'm not going to be acting on anyway, right? So, for right. example, um, Lemonade. I'm going to use Lemonade just as an example here. And this is one that I do tend to look at pretty close to earnings um, just because I'm re- I think it's a really compelling business. Um, the things that they're trying to change about the insurance industry to, like, break away, like, all of the f- friction between people with insurance claims and the insurance company that wants to make money by investing all of the premiums before they have to pay out claims, right? Trying to take all that shit out of the industry to make it a better experience. All the AI stuff to like drive down costs. I love everything that they're doing. They obviously don't know how to like, um, um, they, they can't, ins- they're not very good insurers, right? They can't underwrite themselves out of a, out of a hurricane. I mean, it's, right. they can, their AI can actually do that, but that's like, the, they, they just can't write a profitable policy in, in everywhere else. So, I'm really looking closely to, fo- to like to follow those KPIs around their ability to like get their loss ratios to being reflective of what a good insurer would look like, right? So 
that's one that I'm looking at for that sort of thing. But I've quickly learned how to like look at those key metrics for that company. And I think it, the key metrics is what's the important piece. And, and you're not going to no, always know that the first quarter you own a company. Um, and honestly, if you take the time to read the press release and listen to the earnings call or, or read it, if that's your preference, um, I think just, the, I mean, you can look at the SEC filing too, but I think if you only read the press release and listened to the earnings call for any company two or three quarters in a row, um, you'll have a pretty good sense after two or three, four quarters of like what, what the big things to kind of keep an eye on are. And I'm glad you brought I'm up lemonade. one thing there, not just listening to the call, but maybe even more important than listening it is read the transcript. Yeah. And well, if you're so, a, well, I like doing, both. yeah, both. I've done both. I've done, I, yeah. so I'm going to push back at you a little bit. I used to be a, a reader entirely. I never listened. And now I actually kind of like listening um, because there's just, I don't even know how to quantify it, but like there's something in how questions are answered. Um, if you, if you hear irritation in people's voices, voices that I think is just interesting. Um, but maybe I feel that way cause I started as like a reader of transcripts and I kind of transitioned over to listening. Um, it's a lot quicker to read them to be perfectly honest, but yeah. I do think there's some nuance you can pick up. Um, so I guess I would say like, it might be worth trying both. If, if you've not done one or the, you know, if you only read and not listened or vice versa, and there's some apps out there that let you listen pretty easily now. Right. Um, but um, I'm glad you mentioned Lemonade because that's the opposite example of one I was thinking of, which is Apple, right? So Apple, in my mind, is one where you can, unless there's some big news that you'll hear about anyway, you can kind of sum up their quarter within minutes. You know, with them, I, it's basically how do all the big numbers look, revenue, earnings, how did the different product categories sell? You know, did iPhones do well year over year, iPads, Macs, all that stuff? And then I just happen to know that services, which is a really high margin part of their business, that's all of the subscriptions that go along with, you know, iCloud and Arcade and all that stuff. I like to see how that does in relation to like the overall revenue pie. But I can look at all those things within minutes. And then for me, something like Apple is like, everything's fine moving on. You know, like there, there doesn't need to be anything more than that. I think that's like a perfect opposite example of a company like Lemonade, which is still young, still small, still trying to prove itself, still a lot of questions, um, not, not the sort of blue chip steady you know, investment that Apple could be. Yeah, I, 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 that's good you brought it up about like, you know, the companies that you, the, sometimes they're called like the sleep well at night companies or blue chips or however you want to define them. Like I'll be honest with you, Jeff. I can't remember the last time I, I've read through EPR Properties' full release. Right? I just so it's a real estate investment trust, and they own properties, mostly like retail and experiential stuff. Right? They own some movie theaters. They own like I think Top Golf is one of their big clients. There's a bunch of stuff like that. Besides, like their their movie theaters business, which is just kind of a tough spot. I have zero concerns about anything else that they own, right? I just, I, they've got great clients. Those clients have strong demand and good balance sheets. Why am I going to waste my time reading EPR Properties report? I don't feel like I need to read that report. So it's down there at the very bottom of the list, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you have to, over time, I think it's driven a lot by what you're interested in. You know, like I'm, I'm with you where there's certain companies where I do want to read them right away just because I have so many questions and I'm curious. There are certain things I'm just waiting to see. Um, but then there's a bunch that you kind of don't. So let's, let me ask you this then, because I think 
making training yourself to not make rash decisions around earnings time can be tough. But I think what's even harder, if you're like someone who craves information and likes to do things, is how do you go 90 days where there's very little news other than stock movement? What do you do in between earnings in terms of keeping following and, and keeping yourself from making any dumb decisions based on market sentiment? I mean, I'm more likely to be reading the 10Q between earnings seasons than I am within a week or two, within a week of, certainly within a week, and most likely within two weeks of earnings season. That's when I'm probably going to be reading those, those, those earnings reports, honestly. Um, because what I, what I need to do, particularly, and Jeff, I think this is one that you'll agree with, I think if I were to like pick out a metric for every single company I have ever bought and will ever buy that I need to pay attention to, it's cash flows. I knew right. you were going to say cash flows. <laughs> and, and this is whether it's cash flows, meaning cash that's actually coming in from operations, or it's cash burn, meaning the company is not generating positive operating cash at this point and is having to live off of the cash that it has on its balance sheet, right? Or revolving credit where it's drawing down or secondary offerings where it's going to the market and selling more stock, diluting the, all of the other shareholders to raise capital because of whatever phase of its business that it's in. And, and I wanted to bring this up because sometimes I think people, you know, like you buy a very growthy stock that it's growing like crazy and it's not profitable. And there's a category of investors out there that will never buy it because it's not positive cash, Right. And then there's investors that get it in their head that those kind of businesses, you just buy them at whatever their valuation is, because eventually they're going to get profitable and the stock's going to go to the moon. And both groups of people might be missing the bigger picture, right? For the investors that will only buy cash flow positive business, and this isn't all, right? There's plenty of investors that that's that's their focus. They're really good at it, and they do a great job of, of, great, of, of finding great businesses and making money. But by looking at the trajectory, right, again, little Johnny's report card, little Susie's report card, um, let's just say Pat, right? This is Pat's report card. Um, it's easy to, it's, you, you can look at what's going on with cash burn or cash flows. Are they gener- is it generating positive cash from operations? So what does that mean? I think we should define it, Jeff. All the stuff that it sells minus its cost of goods sold, in other words, the stuff that it sells minus the stuff that it has to buy to make it, then minus all of its operating expenses, how much it pays the CEO, how much it pays the power bill for headquarters, marketing expenses, um, all, of, like, all of those corporate expenses, right? You back out all of those operating expenses, and what's left over is operating cash flow, right? And then you have your capital expenditure, so you're, you you buy new copy machines or you build a new factory or, you know, whatever it is, that's CapEx, right? So you subtract that from operating cash and what's left over is free cash flow. So like I like to start with just operating cash, right? If a company is generating positive operating cash and it's growing that over time, uh, particularly at a per share basis, like, all right, that's great. You focus on that, you live there, and then you contextualize everything that's going on with the business around is that metric growing or not? And there you go. That's where your thesis lives or dies. If it's burning cash and it's a growthy business that is went public and raised billions of dollars with the intent to spend that cash to get to scale, and once it was at that scale, then it would be 
cash positive, would be profitable, all of those things. Following the cadence of is that cash burn getting smaller and getting closer to positive? Right. Does it have enough cash on the balance sheet to get to that critical mass? And then again, overlay that with your thesis and your pre-mortem and say, okay, is this moving in that right direction? And, and I'm so glad you went through that because understanding that transition for these younger growthy companies from getting, from going to the point where they're just pouring money back into the business to grow to getting to the point where they're making progress towards profitability is probably, like you said, the number one thing you could keep track of for every business and, and you'd probably be okay. And one that jumps out at me as like every quarter I'm dying to see what, what that metric is, is Asana, the, the work productivity software. Right, right, Their right. top line and customer growth and uh, retention rate numbers are absurd. And all of their operating cash flow, free cash flow, and and uh, net income metrics are going the exact opposite direction. So it's like every quarter you say to yourself, is this the quarter they're going to tr- start trending in the other direction? Um, but again, that's one you could look at quickly because that's the one thing you're looking for. Um, one thing that I, I think is also worth, one thing that helps me in that in-between time, between the quarters, is when I start to feel like I need to do something, I go back and reread or relook at how that last quarter went. And often what I find is I'm surprised or didn't remember how well the company's doing because yeah. like, especially right now you can go 90 days and the stock could just go down because that's what the market writ large is doing. But then you go back and read and you're like, Oh wow, you know, things are, I remember now that this is really heading in the direction I expect it to. It's in line with my thesis. Um, and that's, that's one something of my favorite that I, things to do, Jeff. I've got this big 32 inch monitor and I'll take this quarter's report and I'll put it on one side of the monitor and I'll take the prior sequential quarters and put it, you know, on next to it. And I'll look at them like, cause they're all almost always in the same format. So you can go like page by page and compare them. So you can look at this, you can look at this quarter versus the same period a year ago. Right. And then you can look at this quarter versus, you know, the three months before it. Right. And see, is the story changing? What is the trend? Right. And sometimes I think this is important, and this we'll talk more about this in the how to sell, but I just want to kind of tease this a little bit, Jeff. Sometimes you do kind of get to a point of capitulation where it's like, you know what? I've been looking at this and I've been watching for a year and it's not, you keep saying it's going to happen and it's not happening. Okay, I'm out, right? So yeah. you, for me, it's, it's about compounding that, kind of how I think about it. either my conviction compounds with each quarter that it moves forward or my lack of conviction conviction compounds. But what you just hit on is so important because when you get to a point, and again, we'll talk about this in the fourth episode, when you get to the point where you decide to, set, to sell something, it needs to be because I was expecting and looking for X, Y, and Z and enough time has passed in my mind that I'm not willing to wait any longer to see if it happens that's a much different sell conversation to have with yourself than I bought this at a hundred and now it's at 50. Well, it's, it's not, I don't think it's a reason. I think that the, the takeaway I'm getting from our conversation here is, um, you know, tracking is important in the sense that it can, if you do it methodically and slowly over time, it can prevent you from making a rash decision, especially around earnings when the market could be doing all sorts of crazy things. Yeah, I want to. I just I want to circle back on a couple things. I think would be good housekeeping for people um, listening, just to be clear, because it, it might sound like I have this like 
you know, I'm just kind of lackadaisically dancing around the room here. Um, I do have a pretty... That's always what I assume you're doing. (laughs) I want you to know that. Well, I do, but occasionally I sit down and I look at my spreadsheet too, because I do have a spreadsheet (laughs) with... The, the data of uh, every, every, every time I've invested in a company, like every buy I have, I track it and I have um, a watch list and I, I keep some minor notes ish, right? Particularly with companies I don't know very well, um, as well, right? And I'm, and I'm building that knowledge base on. Um, but what I particularly wanted to hit on was, you know, I talked about with EPR properties, like I literally can't remember the last time I read like really did a deep dive into one of their filings. And it's not because I don't know the company. It's because I know the company, right? Because I've spent the past three or four years um, looking more closely at its filings, looking at its competitors, looking at its customer base, the, the, the mix of its properties, right? So I know that. So I have conviction in the company. So I don't have to go back and look at it. I really wanted to stress that because it's the companies that I don't have as much conviction in those are the ones that are at the top of my list that I need to be reading their, their, their earnings reports and I need to be doing more research into. Jeff, this was fun. Yeah, I enjoyed this one. This was good. Allow me to disclaim, Jeff. Please do. Invest- this, is, this is not investing advice. Just a couple guys with a podcast answering questions, giving our answers. You got to figure out your own answers to these questions, friends. You can do it. We believe in you. Isn't that right, Jeff? We do. We have high conviction in our listeners to make their own decisions. All right. We'll see you next time. See you, Jeff. See you next time.